we are continuing this theme we're calling we. And, you know, it's this idea. Now, I have to say on the front end, clearly we can acknowledge, and I acknowledge, that there are many of us in this gathering, even right now, who may say, you know what, I'm, a, I'm on a journey. There's no doubt about it. I'm, I am on a journey. I'm just not so sure faith is a part of that journey. And that's okay. Others of us, we might say, you know what, I'm on a journey and my faith is central to my journey. And then there might be a number of us that fit within any spectrum, with any place within that. And the reality is what we're exploring here together is that a a life journey with Jesus, wherever we might be, it will inevitably, we could say it's a guarantee. It will inevitably challenge us to move from a me-oriented way of life to a we mindset that embraces a, a community a local faith community that calls on his name as our home. That there is something about this way of Jesus that asks us to move beyond our journey privately and asks us to be a part of a journey of a group. It is the shift from me to we. And every week, we've been, you know, we're going to explore just a a slightly different angle of what this might look like, how this might actually play out in our lives. This weekend, we're exploring the theme of we are stronger than me, which is what? what? What does that mean? Well, it means it's not just an acknowledgement. We would say it's a statement, it's a declaration that we need each other to overcome our personal challenges, our struggles, the obstacles that present themselves in our lives. We need each other. That is what we, are stronger than me, declares. Now, it was about a year ago, maybe a little over a year ago, where I found myself in the basement of a gym downtown in a CrossFit class. Uh, CrossFit has become kind of a global phenomenon. Um, You know, somebody told me, how do you know somebody does CrossFit? They tell you. And, uh, you know, it became one of these things, right? But my wife actually ended up joining this gym. She wanted to learn martial art, and she got stronger and better. And I thought, okay, I was both motivated and challenged. And so I decided maybe I should get in shape too and decided to join. She was doing her thing, and, and I, they, one, of their, one of the things they offered was a CrossFit class or group or, or whatever you might call it. And so I decided I'm going to try that out. I've never done it. You can go try it out. Now, I've, I'm convinced, I know some of, some of us here might actually do it, and so I don't, you know, I might be misreading this, but I think part of CrossFit's mission is to humiliate those who start out in it and you know, break you down before they build you up. And I remember this one evening I found myself, you know, uh, in the midst of a workout. Now, I personally, when it comes to kind of larger settings, I try to, I, I usually, especially with something like that, I usually set, you know, I kind of stay to myself. I just want to kind of just focus. I'm just trying to survive. Uh, I just want to get out alive kind of deal. And so, you know, I don't really interact a whole lot, but there's this one guy who decided he's, he, he befriended me and he came over and it's just kind of this big man, um, had a thick German accent, you know? And so when he talked, I know, I know Schwarzenegger's Austrian, but it felt like I was talking to him, you know? (laughs) He was kind of befriending me and, and, and talking to me and just kind of encouraging me along the way. And on this evening, we had a circuit in which we had to do various exercises and we, had a, we were competing for time, who could do it the fastest. Uh, so I already lost before we started, but it ended with a 30 pound medicine ball. 
And we needed to lift it up over our head and slam it down 30 times. And that was the end, you know. And so, <laughs> so my tactic was just to keep enough reserve in the tank to finish and to survive. And so I go through the first one, I go through the second one, and I get the third, and I get to the medicine ball, and I think, man, I got, I got something left. Okay, I'm just trying to survive. That's, that's, that's success for me. And so I pick up the medicine ball, 30-pound medicine ball, I put it up over my head, I slam it down. I think, wow, you know what, 30 pounds, it's not that heavy. It's okay. So I pick it up the second time, I put it up over my head, I slam it down. I think, man, you know what? 28 to go. We got this. I'm good. So then I put it in hyperdrive, and I I go as fast as possible. Now, I thought I did. Now, I may not have moved faster, but, you know, I get the ball, I put it up over my head, I slam it down. I get the ball, I put it up over my head, slam it down. I do it about five more times. I get to seven, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a wall appeared, and I went crashing right into it. I mean, real hard. And, and it just felt like my legs became very weak, noodles, you know. <laughs> and I started complaining that my lungs were gasping for oxygen, you know. I started feeling what I had eaten all day, you know. <laughs> I'm sitting there and energy just ran away from me. I, I, I start kind of just buckling down and putting my hands on my, sh- my knees and my friend, he had already finished, and <laughs> he noticed this, and so he ran over to me, and he says, no, 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 stand up. So I stand up, he goes, you will take three breaths in through your nose, out through your mouth. Do it with me. <sighs> so I do it, you know? I mean, he's bigger and stronger. <laughs> I'm smart, you know? So I, I, I listen to him, and he goes, you will pick that ball up three times. I will count you down. Go, now. And I, I, I put it up. Three, two, one. I finish. And I'm thinking, okay, good. He goes, you have 20 left. <laughs> three more breaths. I do my three breaths. He goes, you will do five now. And he, I will count you down. Five. And as he's counting down, he starts calling other people over. <laughs> Pretty much the opposite of what I would like, you know. (laughs) Five, four, he's counting. Three, two, one, three breaths. And it's like 15 left. (laughs) 10 left. And then more people start counting. (laughs) Five left. I'm doing those last five, and I'm both afraid and motivated all at once, (laughs) questioning my membership. (laughs) And get down, I put one on the ground, I collapse, he cheers. I'm gasping, he's high-fiving. Everyone is like, yeah! He comes over, picks me up, it was nothing, he just... Gets me on my feet, pats me on the back. You're one of us. Uh, we finished together. It's like, it just hit me. I mean, it's like hammered something into me. We all have a vision of what we would like to be. A goal, an aspiration. Some would say it's a conviction, a passion. Something motivates us. 
There's no question about it. Every single one of us has it. Some would say it's a holy discontent. We would even go as far as saying God has deposited something in our soul that we are striving for. But can you hear me? And when we lean into it, you know what inevitably ends up happening? We start to discover, I can't do it. I just, I I was reminded of this. I I was sitting there in that basement and I was reminded of this. We are stronger than me. I wanted to quit. He didn't let me. I felt weak. He was strong. I was feeling every sensation except keep on going. And what I experienced there, it's it's the truth. It touched on a principle life. And if that's the case in every other realm of our lives, we know it in education, we know it in our careers, we know it, we know this. Listen, we know the reality. The image of the self-made man, it's a myth. It's a myth. We, We all need each other. We do. We need others in our lives. And you know when this becomes clearest to us? It becomes clearest when we are betrayed by our weaknesses. It becomes clearest when we are betrayed by our lack of integrity, our lack of courage and strength, when when everything in us is actually undermining the very thing we're trying to do. And in those places, we would be mistaken if we were to start to think that perhaps I'm just not cut out. The reality is that is normal. It's normal. It's part of the human condition. We have both working within us at the same time. It's the reality that we all have vulnerabilities. And this is why, this is why I thoroughly love the scriptures because they do not paint us as anything other than what we really are. And at the same time, they demonstrated God who is far more loving and gracious and, and, and one who wants to give us strength than we could ever imagine. And many times, here's what we will discover, especially in this account we're going to look at. Many times we think God has deposited or maybe this is within me and I'm striving toward it, so I must do it. And that is certainly true to a degree. But we were never meant to do it alone. It's not how this works. We were always meant to recognize we are stronger together. Together, we overcome. This movement throughout the scriptures is something God continues to move us toward and help us consider. And this passage is actually found in the Older Testament. It's an account of, in the midst of a narrative that gives us a picture of a contrast of kings. One king had his faith misplaced. The other one was not king yet, but he had his faith placed in God. And we see the contrast. And what we see, what I hope we're going to recognize, is that the one who had faith in God didn't go at it alone. We read together in 1 Samuel 14, we're told, One day, Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost. But Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing. What we are told here, and we have to understand this, is this is a point in Israel's history in which they have enemies at their borders who had bullied them out of the land God had promised to them, had conquered it, and now was threatening to take more. A people group known as the Philistines. 
who were not just opposed to Israel, but they were opposed to everything Israel represented and the God they worshipped. And then you have Saul, who is the king of the land. A king who was not behaving like one, for his faith was placed in something other than God. And then you have his son, the prince of the land. And we're told that he's stirred. He's moved to action. And he asks his armor bearer to go with him to where the Philistines are at their outposts. And meanwhile, Saul, verse 2, and his 600 men were camped on the outskirts of Gibeah around the pomegranate tree at Migron. Among Saul's men were Ahijah, the priest, who was wearing the ephod, the, the priestly vest. Ahijah was the son of Ichabod, brother of Ahitab, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord who had served at Shiloh. Indirectly, you know what this is saying to us? It matters who we are connected to. This is what it is saying. The priest that was standing next to Saul came from the direct lineage of the high priestly order that God had instituted. This is what it is telling us. Who we are connected to matters. However, no one realized that Jonathan had left the Israelite camp. All 600 men, no one realized two were missing. Verse 4 tells us, to reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called Bozes and Sene. The cliff on the north was in front of Michmash, and the one on the south was in front of Geba. Let's go across to the outpost of those pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle, whether he has many warriors or only a few. The narrator gives us somewhat of a word picture. We may not know where those locations are. One thing we are certain, what he is describing is treacherous ground. And what he's saying is no army could go there, but two could. It was in between two cliffs. And they made their way up there. And as they made their way up there, this moment comes where they're sitting on the edge of freedom, on the edge of security, on the edge of confronting their greatest fear. And on that moment, Jonathan turns to his armor bearer. And he says this phrase that is a phrase we can't describe other than a phrase filled with courage and faith. God doesn't need an entire army. He can use as little as two. And if that's, if that's in itself admirable, I'd like to suggest that what the armor bearer says is actually the hinge point of this entire account. Because the armor bearer says to him in verse 7, do what you think is best. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. Why is that the hinge point? We would say, you know what? <laughs> He's the armor bearer. Here's the prince of the land, here's his servant. What else would he say? We would say, that's decorum. And I'm going to suggest to you, and it's just my opinion, there's more going on here. That we would be slightly mistaken. Because I think what's happening is actually something very human. I think Jonathan, in this moment, and we're going to see it pan out, is actually on the precipice of doing something rather courageous, but he wants to make sure. Listen, it's almost as if Jonathan is saying something. He's double-checking some things. He's looking for reassurance. And the unsung hero, in my opinion, is the armor bearer. Why? Because what happens is Jonathan looks 
toward his armor bearer on the precipice of moving forward. And it's almost as if he's saying, listen, I'm willing to go at this. I'm just not willing to go alone. I'm willing to take lead, but only if someone follows. I'm willing to face this battle, but I need someone with me. Are you with me? Are you with me? And the armor bearer's response, in, in that circumstance, reading the one he had served for many years up to this point, what does he say? I am with you completely. Do what you think is best. Whatever you decide, I'm with you. You know what the armor bearer is declaring? He's doing so much more than just his duty. He's going above and beyond. Why? Because what he is saying, in essence, is, Jonathan, this is not your battle. This is our battle. I'm not about me. I'm about we. Where you go, I go. We're going to do this together. We will overcome. Which in a moment like that, when the heat is on and everything is on the line, there can't be stronger words delivered by somebody in the trenches with us. All right then, Jonathan told him. We'll cross over and let them see us. Here's the plan. If they say to us, stay where you are, or we'll kill you, then we will stop and not go up to them. If they take us seriously, and they're sober about it, we'll stop. But if they say, come on up and fight, then we'll go up. If they act cavalierly, they don't treat us as a serious threat, they don't respect what can happen. That will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. And we're told, and the scriptures do not mince words. And they describe a picture that is violent and brutal. But we must not disconnect this from the larger narrative that God is on the move in human history. And he was looking to secure freedom and security for his people. And we're told here, when Philistines saw them coming, they shouted, Look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes like animals. And then the men from the outpost shouted to Jonathan, Come on up here, and we'll see. We'll teach you a lesson. Let's play. Which is exactly what Jonathan needed to hear. Come on. He looks to his armor bearer. Climb right behind me, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, For the Lord will help us defeat them. Jonathan not losing sight of the one he has with him, but showing him ultimate respect and care. So you stay right with me. We are going together. What happens? They climbed up using both hands and feet and the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed those who came behind them. They killed some 20 men in all and their bodies were scattered over about half an acre. It's a brutal scene. And suddenly panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including even the outposts and the raiding parties. And just then an earthquake struck and everyone was terrified. Two men overcoming an army. And the, the, the story ends up showing that Jonathan and his armor bearer, two men with courage and faith, end up behaving together in unison, and they become the catalyst for one, a tremendous victory for Israel. One, by the way, that as you read this account, his father, the man with misplaced faith, the man more interested in me than we, ends up almost single-handedly undermining the entire event. And that security and that freedom, as impactful as it was for that nation, the reality is it was short-lived. And the larger story of the scriptures show us something. That in Jesus, 
The desire of God to secure freedom and, we could say this, salvation for his people was when it was ultimately fulfilled. If in the Older Testament, God wanted to secure it for one nation in a physical way, in Jesus, God wanted to secure it for the entire world in a brutally physical way. It was on the cross that Jesus ends up revealing actually the heart of God was not simply physical security for his people. But the heart of God was not in a battle against people. It was in battle to heal and redeem the brokenness of humanity and the brokenness of this world. A battle that the scriptures tell us the resurrection of Jesus has secured for us. And he has done what we can never do for ourselves. And Jesus is our Jonathan. And yet, as true as that is, though it might not be a direct connect, I think there is something for us to consider here that this physical account it can remind us of the reality that every single one of us has a battle we are fighting. Every single one of us. Some of us, we might be sitting here today and we might be feeling pretty confident about where we are at in that. Others of us, we may have walked in here crawling. If someone could see a picture of our soul, we're in so much pain. We feel so defeated. Others of us were holding the line. And it reminds me, you know, Paul, Paul spoke to his son in the faith. And he said to him, he used this term about his faith journey. I asked him to put this up there. He said to them, look, son, I want you to understand something. That this, this faith requires you to fight. I want you to fight the good fight of faith. I want you to take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And by the way, the one you made a good confession before other people. That there is something about this faith, Timothy, you're going to have to contend for. That desire within your soul that perhaps God has deposited, or you would say has been in us, as long as we can remember, there is something to it. There is a, desire, there is a need for us to contend. And it is not, listen, it is not something we are, we are supposed to engage in passively. No, in a way, God is looking to enlist us. This life is meant to be actively conquered. But it is not meant to be conquered so that others can serve us. And it is not meant to be conquered so that we can subjugate others. It is meant to be conquered in what way? So that we can secure for ourselves a greater measure of health in our soul, health in our relationships, life in our neighborhoods, life in our work environments, and ultimately life to flow in this city. That is what we are contending for. That is why this is so important. And if that's the case, then you, we must understand a couple things. That if, if we are required to fight, to contend, we were never meant to do it alone. Which I think this highlights in a very real way. See, you know what this shows us? The power of our faith is connected to our willingness to see ourselves as part of a people rather than as individuals on a private journey. 
that the power of our faith in Jesus has direct connection to how we view our journey. That if we view it as something privately held, that we are on alone, we miss out on so much of the goodness God has for us. But when we start stepping out of a me-oriented way of life and into a place when we recognize we are part of something, then we start to tap into the very thing Jesus came to establish. In fact, he told his disciples, he told Peter after Peter had confessed him as Messiah, he told Peter, listen, I want you to understand this. Upon this rock, I will build my church. This is what I will do. And he says this in Matthew 16, 18. Upon this rock, I will build my church. And look at the stark language Jesus uses. He says, and all the powers of hell shall not prevail against it. You know that word church? It's the Greek word ekklesia. It's a word Jesus borrowed from their common colloquial terms. And it means assembly, gathering. You know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is not saying that I came individually to empower you. That is true. But what he is saying is, I came to establish a people. And as people together call on my name, the forces of evil in this world cannot withstand it. And that there is tremendous power for good that flows out of a people united. We are stronger than me. What does that look like? Well, if, I, if we start to adapt this way, you know what happens? We read the scriptures differently. We read the scriptures not as a word delivered to a person, but as a word delivered to a people. And we engage with the scriptures in a way of, God, what is your word to my people, our people? And within that, we discover, what is your word to me? What role do you have for me in this group, in this community that I have committed myself to? Now, in a little bit more real terms, it starts to give some meaning to our suffering. Why? Our suffering starts to find redemption in our capacity to identify with the suffering of others. And it is no longer in vain that we walk through trials and, and things that would zap life from us. All of a sudden, we find ourselves in the same boat, in the same path of other people who are struggling just like us. It was C.S. Lewis who said, Two people become friends the minute one of them recognizes, oh, I thought it was just me. We get comforted so we can comfort others. We get strengthened so we can strengthen others. We get encouraged so we can encourage others. It is in the giving away of what we receive that we find our place. We get lifted that we can lift others. This is, this is the power of our faith. And if that's the case, you know what this also reminds us of? It reminds us that the victory of our battle, it is, there is a correlation between the victory of our battle and the strength of our relationships. That we are not, we are not meant to turn people into enemies. We are not to turn relationships into a means to an end. That the minute we see people as a service to our agenda, we have lost the very battle we're engaged in. If anything, our faith is supposed to win us relationships, heal relationships, 
Strengthen relationships. Reconcile relationships. And we will see the evidence of His flow in our lives, in the health and increasing health of those we interact with. Ah, this is... Um, this is why I look at this passage. You know what we see? We see three different people. We see the armor bearer, we see Jonathan, and we see his father, Saul. Now, our community, I will say, is filled with many armor bearers. I think it's part of the strength of who we are. Uh, people who are willing to encourage others, serve others, strengthen others. I've seen it over the years. And I've been here for some time now. It, it, it never fails to amaze me how quickly our community rallies around those who need help. And it's amazing. And we, we are the ones who will say, we're with you. I'm with you. Your battle's not yours, it's ours. And we will overcome. I've seen that happen. Our community, many of us, that is how we function. It is where we most function most comfortably. We love to give. And that, if that is the case, I will say, I wonder if perhaps God is asking us, listen, those of us who give, who are the ones who support I wonder if he is asking us, will you be supported? Will you take the courageous risk of asking for others to help you, to strengthen you? Will you be the one who says, um, I need a little reassurance? That's why I love Jonathan, by the way. Jonathan didn't look down on his armor bearer. In a very real way, they were in two different classes, and yet he did not disrespect him, but he acknowledged him. And what did he do? He did more than that. He says, God can use you with me. We could do this. Some of us, we need the courage to invite, will you pray for me? Will you help me in this? I'm fighting this battle, and I need, I need, I need you. Others of us, it might be flipped. We might not be necessarily easily the armor bearer. We might be the one who has no problem asking for help. We have no problem inviting others to reassure us. And perhaps God would challenge us. Both need courage. Perhaps God would challenge us. Would you find those who need your help? Those who need your strength? Will you give out of what you have received? And then I can't help but think of the man, person, under the pomegranate tree, insulated, far away from actually fighting and contending, isolated, no one knows, completely disconnected. Some of us may be right there. And in a way, I have to say, I understand. It is how I came in. Why? Because we get burned by people. We get hurt. Because we let ourselves down, we let others down, or we have been let down in times past. Also, I don't want to burden. I don't want to burden you. I'm okay. I don't want to be involved. I'll come. I don't want to be risk. I don't want to risk that. And yet God might ask us, to take the risk. And maybe we don't have the capacity to go to a place of cultivating a friendship. What if we say, God, I will position myself in an environment 
And I pray that you would send me a Jonathan or that you would send me an armor bearer. And one step at a time, I don't even know what to do. I don't even know how to heal through this, but I will commit myself to this place, this community. I long to experience what it is like to be strengthened by others and to be one who gives others strength. So I lay this prayer before you. Help me do that. Help me take one step in that direction. And you know, Jesus will answer that prayer. Because what we discover here is that one, listen, we all benefit when one of us overcomes. We all benefit. Do we understand an entire nation benefited because of two courageous people? It was not Jonathan's victory. It was Israel's victory. And we are a place. We are a place that when we move in the direction, we start to discover we are stronger than me. And we, we start to become one of the places where people come in weak and they get stronger. We become one of the places where individual weaknesses are overcome by the strength of others. We become one of the communities in which relationships are strengthened by those who surround that relationship. We become the place where people support one another, where there is no individual on a single journey. There is a community moving together, lifting each other up, strengthening each other. We become the place where it is okay to admit need, where it is okay to admit vulnerability, where transgressions can be confessed, prayed for, and healed. We become the place where one person overcoming means one more person helping others overcome. And we start, listen, we start to live out what Jesus said. You do this, you will become like a, like a city on a hill, shining a light. And what will that light be like? It will be, it will be filled with, with faith, hope, and love. The very ingredients Jesus uses to continue the good work he has started. He wants to do this. He is already doing this. The question is, will we be a part of it? And will we discover the life-changing truth? We are stronger than me. In a moment, we're going to receive our time of giving a closing song. But Lord, I thank you Thank you, Jesus, that in your grace and in your love, you do approach us each individually uniquely. But I thank you that you give us the gift of each other. I thank you, God, that your embrace of acceptance towards us is an embrace you invite us to receive through the words through the arms, through the prayers of other people calling on your name.
I pray that you would make us a community that is able to experience the reality that two are better than one. One can be easily overcome, but two can overcome. Keep each other warm. Get a double portion for the toil. A triple braided cord will never be easily broken. Oh, would you do something beautiful? Would you help us experience each individually? We are stronger than me. I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.